Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country, and laid the cross on him to carry behind Yeshua. A great multitude of the people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Yeshua said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say on the mountains, or excuse me, then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the school, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Yeshua said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is Yahweh's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Judahites, save yourself. An inscription was above him, This is the king of the Judahites. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear the Almighty? since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Yeshua, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Yeshua called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify the Almighty, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. We have about three weeks now until the Master's Supper and Passover, so I'd like to take a break from what I've been teaching on in Matthew chapter 24, and I would like to focus on what Yeshua did for us at Passover time. Now, it's fascinating when we learn how the biblical festivals all point to Yeshua. For example, Yahweh orchestrated that Yeshua be put to death not at just any time, but that he be put to death at Passover time. The same time that the Israelites of old were delivered from Egypt by Yahweh, 
during the Exodus through the lamb's blood. Yahweh had the Israelites smear lamb's blood on the doorposts and the lintel of their homes in Egypt. And when he went through the land of Egypt that night, on Passover night, he looked for that lamb's blood on the doorpost. And if he saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over that house and protect it from death, the death of the firstborn son. Now the antitype to that in the New Covenant is the blood of Yahweh's son, Yeshua. When it is applied to our lives spiritually by faith in Him, by faith in Him, it protects us from being destroyed. It protects us from perishing, from dying eternally. This is why the Apostle Paul could write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the Messiah, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. The Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb, pointed to the blood of the Messiah that was shed in our place for our protection. That's just one point in the biblical festivals. Everything in the festivals point to Yahweh's only begotten Son. And points like that fascinate me. It still fascinates me as I say it today, even though I've known it for a long time and I've told it to a lot of people, it still fascinates me what I just shared with you about the Passover lamb's blood and the blood of the Son of Yahweh. Points like that also give me assurance of my salvation. They help me because the focus goes off of Matthew and the focus goes on to the Savior that Yahweh sent. I don't look to myself for my assurance of salvation, but I look to the Savior that Yahweh sent for my assurance of salvation. As 1 John 4.14 says, the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, I've been teaching little David, John 3.14-16, or John 3.14-17, for his memory verse lately. Before he does his schooling, I teach him Bible every morning. And he and I quote that verse just about every morning before you get started on your schoolwork, right, David? He's shaking his head, yes. And each time that we quote it, me and him quote it together. He's good at it. He's better than me. Each time we quote it, I receive assurance about my salvation. And I also receive assurance about David's salvation. We should never leave our children out. The Israelite children were there no matter how small that first Passover night. They were there. They were saved by the Lamb's blood too. They were always included in the covenant. They were always treated as believers because they were under the covering of a believing parent or sometimes parents. David and I quote these verses from John together. We have hand motions and we say, just as Moses, and we stroke the beard, Moses, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For Yahweh loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We quote that every day and we're learning verse 17, right? Verse 17, we're going to learn all the way through I think like verse 20. It's a beautiful thing. 
I enjoy doing that with David. And each time I quote that with David, and just as I quoted it now, I think, that's us. That's us. We believe you, Yahweh. We believe you gave your one and only Son, and we believe in Him. And we lift up the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. I'll talk about that next week. Yahweh loves for us to believe in His Son, Yeshua. Yahweh gets glory. Yahweh gets glory when you believe in His Son that He sent. And it's because Yahweh sent Him. He has Yahweh's backing. He's Yahweh's right-hand man, so to speak. And you must believe in the one Yahweh has sent in order to have eternal life. John 3, 14 through 16. And then Yeshua said Himself, also in John 17, verse 3, He said, This is eternal life, that they might know You, the only true Mighty One, and Yeshua the Messiah, whom You have sent. Yeshua is the Passover Lamb. He's the Lamb of Yahweh. You must have His blood applied to your life. So today, I want to center in upon a man who believed in the Son and received eternal life. This man did not have everything figured out. This man didn't know all the intricacies of theology and Christology, the study of God and the study of Christ. This man did not know all the details of the Torah. This man did not live a good life. But this man knew some things. He knew that he was bad and that Yeshua was not. And he believed upon Yeshua right when Yeshua's blood was being shed upon the tree, upon the Roman cross or the Roman torture stake. This man believed upon Yeshua and this man received eternal life. We read in Luke 23 that Yeshua was being led to the place of his execution. We just read this. He had done nothing wrong. Even Pilate, a Roman official, said that he found no fault with this man from Nazareth. But the plan of Yahweh had to take place. What the Passover lamb had pointed to for many years, that was taking place that day at Passover time that year. Yeshua was being wounded, bruised, beaten, and killed for our transgressions, our iniquities, our peace with the Father, and for the healing that we all need from our sins. As Yeshua was being led away, there were two others who were also led away with Him. Luke 23 verse 32 says that they were criminals. And verse 33 says that at the crucifixion, these criminals hung beside Him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Crucifixion was common in the Roman government. It was a common form of punishment in the Roman government. It is how they punished severe crimes. Watson's Biblical and Theological Dictionary says that the cross was an ancient instrument of capital punishment. The cross was the punishment inflicted by the Romans on servants who had perpetrated crimes, on robbers, assassins, and rebels, among which last Yeshua was reckoned on the ground of his making himself king or messiah. Now these criminals being crucified along with Yeshua are called thieves in the book of Matthew chapter 27 and the book of Mark chapter 15, at least in some Bibles. The King James Version calls them thieves. But I should point out that as far as I can tell, there are two Greek words in the New Testament for a thief. One of those words is kleptes, 
And that refers to somebody that just steals something, what we might call a petty thief. The other word is lastase, which refers to somebody who steals by force to harm or to kill a person. Sometimes these words overlap. As you see, they both can refer to a thief. But a man who was only a kleptase, from where we get our word kleptomaniac, right? A man who was only a kleptase, a thief, period, was not generally punished by execution under the Roman government. However, someone who was an armed thief, who harmed people while stealing, or someone who desired to start an insurrection against the Roman government and to overthrow them, through which there would be some theft to take place, they were. They were guilty of a capital crime in Rome. In all likelihood, these men were armed robbers, guilty of at least armed robbery where they harmed someone, and possibly guilty of armed robbery where they murdered people in attempts to overthrow the Roman government. In short, these men were being punished for committing severe crime. Yeshua was being punished for no just reason. In Luke 23, verse 35, we see that while Yeshua hung there with these criminals, the leaders kept scoffing at Him. He saved others. Let Him save Himself if this is the Messiah. This is the Anointed One. Let Him save Himself. Soldiers also mocked Him and offered Him sour wine. And the soldiers said, If you are the King of Judah, save yourself. Around about this time, one of the criminals began yelling insults at Yeshua. And one thing he yelled out is recorded here for us by Luke in chapter 23, verse 39. The criminal yelled out, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And I'm certain it was a a very loud cry from this criminal. The first criminal wanted to be freed from his execution. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He was not sorrowful for the crimes he'd committed and the lives that he had injured. He had no repentance in his heart for his wrongdoing. He just wanted down from the cross. He just didn't want to go through the pain and the death of the punishment. The criminal on the other side of Yeshua, though, had a different view. We read in verse 40 that he cried out to the first criminal. One criminal crying out to the other criminal. Don't you even fear the Almighty since you are undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. That was the words from one criminal to the other. The second criminal wasn't thinking about being freed from his execution. He was sorrowful for his crimes. He was sorrowful for the lives that he had injured. And he had repentance in his heart for his wrongdoing. He admitted his wrong. He knew he was getting what he deserved. This second criminal knew this. I'm bad. Yeshua is not. I'm a sinner being punished justly. Yeshua is not. I'm deserving of death. This man should not be up here on a cross beside me. Every one of us approach the Messiah in one of two ways. Some people think of themselves as pretty good people. I saw a fellow the other day who claims to be a Christian say that as far as he can remember, he's never asked the Lord for forgiveness. 
I think that mindset is prevalent in the world today. I think most people do not see how precious Yahweh's one and only Son is because we think that we are already precious. The fact is this. Yahweh's law condemns all of us. Every one of us. If Yahweh was fair, if we got what we deserved, each one of us should have already been put to death for our sins. We've all sinned and fallen short of Yahweh's glory. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know, I witness to people like this when I share the gospel with them because you can't share the good news with somebody if they don't know the bad news. The good news is not good if you don't already know the bad news. So I witness to people like this and they say, they say, but sir, or but Matthew, I've never murdered anybody and I don't steal. And they say those things as though that's the only two laws that Yahweh has. Now, when we understand everything about the spirit of the law, about murder and theft, then the odds are every single one of us is a murderer and a thief. That being said, Yahweh has many more laws than just those two. And each of Yahweh's laws are perfect. Yahweh's law as a whole, as a unit, is perfect. But each individual law within that unit is perfect in and of itself. It's complete. It's mature. It has no blemish. When you put them all together, you have a complete and perfect unit. And Yahweh tells us through the Apostle James, in James chapter 2, verse 10, this is what James says, that whoever keeps the entire law, that's hyperbole, that's an exaggerated statement to make a point, whoever keeps the entire law, yet offends in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. That's how the law works. It's one complete unit. If you want to see a perfect keeping of the law, look to Yeshua. Compare yourself with Him. Don't compare yourself with other people. You can always find someone to compare yourself with to make you feel a little bit better about yourself. Instead, compare your life with the life of Christ. Compare your life. When you do that, you're comparing your life with the perfection that is found in Yahweh's law. Now, I cannot make you do that. And that's because I don't have the power to do spiritual surgery. I do believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message preached, the word that is preached. And so that's what keeps me going is because the Bible says that and so I keep preaching and I know that's Yahweh's means to save people is for the preaching of the word. But I don't have the power in myself to perform spiritual surgery. I cannot make you compare your life with Christ and see yourself as a sinner. I cannot force you to see yourself as a sinner. But I can tell you this. Until you see yourself as a sinner hanging beside Yeshua on a cross, until you see yourself there being put to death deservingly, you will never realize how precious the blood of Yahweh's one and only Son is. You never will. Yeshua will not be the beauty that He is to you until you feel, until you feel the weight and the measure of your sin. Until the law kills you, until the law crushes you, 
the beauty of Yeshua will not be precious. A low view of the law. We don't need to have this view of the law. But a low view of the law will make a person feel comfortable, able to achieve, and self-righteous. That they're doing everything, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, puffing up the chest. A high view of the law, that it's perfectly righteous, no blemishes, a high view of the law will make a person feel uncomfortable, unable to achieve, and a seeker after grace. Do not judge yourself by outward laws. The outward laws that I keep do not make me a righteous man. You can look like a righteous person on the outside and be full of dead men's bones on the inside. The Pharisees, for instance, I just taught through Matthew chapter 23 not long ago. The Pharisees looked the part. They looked righteous. If you saw them, you'd think, Ooh, that's a holy man. That's a righteous man. But they weren't. We know the scathing that Yeshua gave to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. And I'm no more righteous than a Pharisee if I judge myself that way by just some outward, a few outward manifestations of the law that I obey. You know, I know firsthand, personally, this is Brother Matthew talking to you from his heart. I know what it's like to think that you are righteous. And the reason I know is because I used to be one of those people. I used to think that I had everything figured out and I was a top-notch follower of Yeshua. And I used to always point my finger at everybody else and look at what he does and look at what she does. And can you believe she said that? Can you believe he said that? And I'm so glad I'm not like that person. That is a Pharisee mentality. That is a judgmental spirit. And whatever measure you place on other people, Yahweh will bring that measure back on you. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? But the good part is, as Yeshua says, whatever measure of mercy and grace and kindness you put, Yahweh will also give you that back. And so I've tried to do the opposite of how I used to be and show forth mercy, grace plentifully because I know how much that I need it in return. And Yahweh promises He'll give us that measure in return. So I used to always point my finger at everybody else and I still catch myself doing that sometimes before I repent and ask Yahweh to forgive me and I don't want to pray like the Pharisee, right? I want to pray like the tax collector. Pray like the publican in Luke chapter 18. Beat my chest, put my face down. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. That man went home justified. The Pharisee was just praying to himself. He wasn't praying to Yahweh. The Scripture says he was praying to himself. Oh, I thank, thank Yahweh I'm not like this man beside me. Don't want to be like that. I used to think I had everything figured out, top-notch follower of Yeshua, until one day, until one day, something happened. And it's a spiritual occurrence. It's something spiritual that Yahweh only can do to you and for you. I cannot do it. Yahweh can only do it for you. And the only way that you'll know what I'm talking about, the only way you'll understand what I'm talking about is if it has to happen to you. If it's happened to you, then you'll understand what I'm saying. If it's not, I pray, I pray that it will happen to you. One day I came to grips with the weight of my sin. It came pounding down on top of me like an anvil. And I realized that day how perfect Yahweh's law is and how imperfect Matthew is. So now... 
I look at all of Yahweh's commandments and I love them. And yes, I strive to obey them and I do not want to practice lawlessness. But I look at all of Yahweh's commandments and I see the one that says this, Love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment after the Shema. It's the greatest commandment. Love Yahweh with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think about that commandment at the end of the day. And at the end of each day as I meditate on that commandment, I think to myself, I didn't do that today. Do I love Yahweh? Well, sure. Sure I love Yahweh. I'm thankful for Him. Do I love Yahweh with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. I don't. That's the only honest answer that I can give you. Because loving Yahweh with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know what that looks like? That looks like Yeshua. That's what it looks like. If you want to find a man that loved Yahweh with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, you look at Yeshua. So what is that law designed to do? That law is not designed for you to look at it, love Yahweh with everything. It's not designed for you to look at it down low, thinking that you've achieved and you've arrived. That law is designed for you to look at up here high and drive you to Christ. When you read that law, it's designed to crush you and drive you to Christ. That's why it's there. Yeshua's life is what it looks like to love Yahweh with everything. And I fall so short of that in my own life. You say, Brother Matthew, when you wake up in the morning, do you strive? Do you want to love Yahweh with everything? Yes, every morning. Every morning I get out of bed. Every morning I say, thank you, Yahweh, for another day. Thank you for another day to serve you. I want to walk in holiness. I want to walk in righteousness. And some days I do better than other days. But at the end of every day, I ask myself, did I love Yahweh with all of my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength? And the answer every day is no. And so I look to Christ. I look to the Savior. The same goes for a commandment to love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's a commandment. It's a lot more difficult than putting four tassels on your shirt. Do I love my wife? Yes. I'm thankful for her. I absolutely do love her. And some days I love her better than other days. But at the end of the day, I do not love her like Christ loved the church. Should that be our goal, men? Yeah, it should be. I want to love her like Christ loved the church. As I said, some days I do better than others, but I don't love her like Christ loved the church. But again, a low view of that law will breed self-righteousness. A high view of that law will keep you seeking for the goal and make you a seeker after grace. So where is my hope? Well, I will tell you where my hope is not. My hope is not in Matthew. I've read Yahweh's law. I've studied Yahweh's law. I continue to study it. I see how perfect it is. I see how good it is. And I see how righteous Yeshua is. And if I put my hope in Matthew, if I put my hope in my performance, I'll turn into a Pharisee. I'll deceive myself into thinking that I have arrived or that I have achieved. So instead, my hope is built on nothing less in Yeshua's blood and righteousness. As we used to sing in church, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
All other ground is sinking sand. That's where I put my hope. Because that keeps me, that keeps me every day walking in the direction of righteousness. Never thinking that I've achieved. Never thinking that I've attained. But daily pressing towards the prize and the mark. You know, one of the criminals hanging there that day on the cross beside Christ, he knew this. He knew he was bad, but he knew that the man hanging there beside him was being punished unjustly. He said, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. He told the other guy, the other criminal on the other side of Christ, we're being punished for what we deserve. This man between us has done nothing wrong. And he also asked the Lord that day, hanging on the cross, dying, he said, Yeshua, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had faith in Yeshua. There were no frills, no altar call, no repeat after me, no slow music, no dim lights, no persuasive sermon, just raw faith. Raw faith in the man whose blood was being shed right beside him. He knew that the man beside him was different. He knew that man really was anointed of Yahweh. He was a righteous man. And that criminal that day, hanging on the cross, he had a heart full of faith in the man beside him that Yahweh had sent to be the Savior. And Yeshua responded, I assure you today, verily, verily, which in the Greek means, what I'm telling you is the truth. Truly, truly. You will be with me in paradise. Now there's a big debate about where the comma should be here, either before the word today or after the word today. I think it should go after the word today because I think the whole Bible teaches that when saints die, they don't immediately go to paradise. But that's not the point of my sermon today. The point is is that this criminal hanging upon the cross beside Yeshua that day, he will be in paradise. Why? Because of his faith and only his faith. He'll be in paradise. Yeshua said, I assure you of this. And it was based upon nothing more than that man's faith. People don't like that kind of grace. People think that's not fair. Brother Matthew, that doesn't seem fair. And you know what? They're right. That's not fair. Grace is undeserved favor from Yahweh. Quote, unquote, grace that is deserved is not grace. It's wages earned. If it be by works, then it is no more by grace. But if it be by grace, then it is no more by works. This man simply had faith in Christ and he will be in paradise. So people say that's not fair and they're right. Grace is undeserved favor upon your life. Grace means you did not work for something. Grace can never be bought, but it has already been paid for. And every one of us today should be thankful for the unfairness of Yahweh. I've been praying lately. Yahweh, I'm thankful that you are not fair. Because if you were fair, I wouldn't be here today. And neither would you. John 3.16, one of those verses that David and I are memorizing, says that Yahweh loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. 
the armed robber hanging upon the cross that day beside Yeshua believed in the one and only Son of Yahweh. He gets eternal life. That criminal was saved by one thing. He was saved by the blood of the Lamb. And if you are saved today, it will be by one thing and one thing only. It will be by the blood of the Lamb. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. You need the Lamb's blood. I need the Lamb's blood. We need it desperately. We all need it desperately. My prayer is that we all see how desperately we need Yahweh's Son, Yeshua, so that He becomes more precious to us than anything else in this universe. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for another time of meeting on Your Sabbath. Thank You for all the singing, testimonies, prayers, teaching. And Father Yahweh, I pray that You would grant new life, new hearts, and new birth. Let us see the weight of our sin, but let us also feel that weight lift when we have faith in the one that you sent. I pray, Father, as we draw nigh to Passover time that we would remember these things, we would bring these things back to our remembrance lest at any time we let them slip away. Lest at any time we begin to think that we're doing anything. There is nothing that we have received that we should boast about. And it's because we've received it all from you. I thank you, Father Yahweh, and I praise you. Give us that faith. Grant us that faith. Through your Son, Yeshua. Amen.